This morning we'll be turning our attention to the communion table towards the end of this morning's message. And so I want to again remind you that communion is for the body of Christ. It's for believers. It's for those who have placed their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, It is not something that we do lightly. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, do not partake at the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so for you who are here and maybe you do not know the Lord, uh, today could be that day when you commit your life to Christ and you'll be participating in your first communion service with us. But if you're not ready to take communion, please, when the elements come, just simply allow them to go past you. We don't want you to feel obligated or pressured. But for those of us who love the Lord, uh, this is a special day for us. So we're going to spend time at the communion table. Before we get there, we're going to finish up the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. So if you turn uh, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 9. And this is really a continuation of the thought that he began back in verse 6. And I want to remind you, can we all remember together that Pastor Jeff did not write the Bible? Amen? So upon occasion, Pastor Jeff has to say to you things that Pastor Jeff gets directly from God, which might afflict a few folks in here. Uh, May cause you to go, well, you know, what's he trying to say? Well, I'm not trying to say anything, but chances are the Holy Spirit is trying to say something, maybe to you. So uh, if something should afflict you slightly this morning before we get to the communion table, know this, God's grace is sufficient for it, that he loves us with an undying love. He sent Jesus into this world to prove that to us. And so as we come to a, a subject that is somewhat touchy in our society, in our world, in our country, and that of doing meaningful work. Uh, the Bible has something to say about meaningful work. And Paul is about to say something that offends a lot of folks today. But again, Pastor Jeff didn't write the Bible. Okay, so as we read these words, would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this time. We ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit. Would you minister to us? Would you help us to be strengthened and encouraged by your word as we receive it? Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8, we'll pick up there. And he says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And verse 9, he goes on to say, not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So Paul begins by instructing us that we are to be an example of industriousness, to have a great work ethic. And that work ethic is something that we can use to minister to the rest of the world. And I can tell you, having been in administrative parts of the ministry for three decades, I am ashamed sometimes to actually say, yes, those are Christians doing that job. Because I look at people in the world and they're actually doing a better job than believers who should be doing their job in the grace of God and with great zeal because it is a witness before the world how we do everything. 
not just our jobs at work, but everything in life is an opportunity for us to bear witness to the grace by which we have been saved. And so specifically, he says, in the area of a work ethic, and he uses the word example, it means type. Uh, It also can mean a pattern. It can mean a blueprint. He's saying, look, you should be able to follow the manner of living that we have in this area of a work life, a work ethic, in such a way that people would see your best effort and they would say, that's what Christ has produced in that person's life. You see, because one of the places that you will be bearing witness to Jesus is in the workplace, amen? So when you're at work and people know you're a believer, they're actually judging you more harshly because you're a Christian. And so if you fail to do a good job in the workplace, you're actually putting, in essence, a burden upon them to disassociate your bad habits from the glorious things that God's done in your life. Our work ethic and our standing in Christ are supposed to be the same. You see, many people think that we can kind of disassemble our walks in the Lord. And, well, this is my work persona, and this is my church persona. Can I tell you that's an impossibility if you're really walking with Jesus? You're supposed to be the same person in all places, not just both places, but all places. A consistent, a vibrant walk is far more valuable than all kinds of flowery words. So often people say, well, I'm a Christian. And then the things that they do doesn't match up to the glorious things that we are in Christ. Let's make sure that our work ethic is one of those things that bears wonderful witness of the Lord's work in our life. It's an example. He's going to go on now, and he's going to say some tough things. And I want to be very careful how I say these things. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but Scripture here says something that is really tough to get around. As believers, notice I didn't say as Democrats or Republicans. Notice I didn't say as liberals or conservatives. Notice I said as Christians, as people whose identity is found in Christ Jesus as Lord. Am I clear? Because you see, sometimes we get confused. You're not automatically a Republican because you're a believer, and you're not automatically a Democrat. You're not an independent. You're not someone who believes in social welfare. You are a believer in Christ Jesus first, foremost, and always. Amen? Amen. So we get, amen. We get our structure then of our lives from the Word. Amen? So that's the reason I'm saying this, because I don't want to offend anybody unduly. But I do want to tell you what God's Word says for, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone, oops, will not work, neither shall he eat. Ow. That's tough, isn't it? Those are strong words. 
You, you see, the apostle's trying to say something to us that I think really can help us today. And while there are people who obviously and absolutely are disadvantaged in such a way, they need help. And we, of all people, should be helpful, and we should be looking towards that end. We have to be very careful that we don't let people off of the biblical mandate. There is a direct connection between industriousness and providing for your own home. It's not someone else's job to take care of you. It is your job to take care of you and your family. And I know that sounds kind of hard, but it's exactly what is being said here. So we have to be careful that we don't buy into the world system of putting people in harm's way by saying, well, you know, let someone else take care of you. We have been called by God to be the very best that we can possibly be. We need to be working to that end, family of God, together. And while we could sit here all day and talk about the social implications of this verse, the fact of the matter is it's a very plain instruction. It's not a mystery. We are supposed to be industrious as the body of Christ and work to pay our own way. And I want you to focus in on something because this is very important to the proper understanding of this verse. It says, will not. In other words, will not work. Not cannot. Not as having a tough time finding a job. Not, not as in a situation that's placed them in, the, in a disadvantaged situation, but refuses to work. Those type of people, we need to be very careful that we're not enabling them to continue to will not work. It doesn't help them. It does nothing for them but make them dependent on someone other than their own industriousness. And we have to be careful because then we begin to ingrain things that will actually damage them long term. We're not talking about helping someone short term. This is someone who makes a life out of not doing what they should be doing. We need to come alongside of that person and help them. But help them become industrious. And we're going to see why in just a moment. You, you see, should we help those who are disadvantaged? Yes. Always, all the time, every way. That also is a biblical principle. Matter of fact, so much so that Scripture says, if you see your brother in need and you harden your heart towards him or her, how can you actually say that the love of God dwells in you? So on one side, we must help those who are hurting. On the other side, we don't want to enable people who are just plain lazy. That refuse to get out and do something with their life. Because it will hurt them. It doesn't help them. The apostle is speaking to us in our day and time from 2,000 years ago. He's saying some of the things that we need to hear today. And I think many people don't have a biblical understanding. They name the name of Christ, but they don't possess a biblical understanding of the value of being a good worker, someone who works hard, someone who does the things that are necessary to take care of their own family. 
You know, we hear emotional stories, and while those stories are wonderful and good, and we need to be good listeners, sometimes we get motivated by purely by emotion. We need to be careful because there's a principle behind our emotions, and we should be clinging to the principle, not the emotions. God's word nowhere honors slothfulness or honors lack of industriousness or says that it's anyone else's responsibility. Matter of fact, notice what it says in verse 11. Kind of gives us three rotten eggs here. Some things that help identify when this problem is at, is at work. For we hear that there are some who walk among you. In other words, these are believers. We're not talking about people who don't know the Lord. We're talking about believers. We're talking about people who profess the name of Christ, and yet they're kind of living off of other people's goodness. There are some among you who walk in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but notice this, are busybodies. Have you ever noticed how people who don't do anything tell everyone else how to do everything? They got an idea about absolutely everything. They're busy doing nothing themselves, but they're going to tell you how you should run your life. You see, being a busybody comes from having too much time on your hands. It comes from sitting around wondering whether you got the short end of that stick or not. And so Paul's making a very clear connection You see, when you get out of the biblical principle here and you get past working hard and industriousness, and ultimately what happens with industriousness is you have more to give, you see, then you can actually be a help to people who have need. You can't be a help to someone who has need if you yourself are always in need. And so there's a connection with these things. And we need to make sure that we're keeping them connected. The biblical connection is this. A lot of people live their financial life, a lot of people live their social life apart from a direct connection to the biblical principles that we're supposed to have in those things. We say, well, that's, you know, that's my financial life or that's my work life and this is my Christian life over here. Please, in Jesus' name, don't do that. Keep them connected. You draw what you need to know from the word of God as a believer. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. We're going to get to that this coming week in Romans chapter 10. We take these principles, and we can act on them. But if you don't, then a lot of times people say, oh, they just quit their job. They just sit around. They sold their businesses. These people were waiting for the rapture of the church. They were waiting for the second coming of the Lord. You know, eventually you can kind of sit around and go, well, you know, I'm not doing anything anyway, so I'll just sit here until somebody does something for me. That's a recipe for disaster. Most people that I know that are doing well later in life worked hard their whole life. They just worked hard. And we need to keep that in view. I've talked to so many people. I might say, you're talking to, when I speak to you, I'm a man since I was 17 years old. I've only had one two-week period of my entire life where I was not employed full-time. And I'm kind of old. I actually like that. Because I know what happens when I'm not employed. 
I know where my brain goes when I'm not being busy. And it's the third point here. People become busybodies. They start to look at other people's lives and go, well, I don't have that, I don't have that, I don't have And they do not make the connection that the reason they don't have those things is because they are not doing anything to have them. They're waiting around for somebody to drop those things on their life. Can I give you a clue? It doesn't happen very often. A guy came to me a couple, nah, it was probably a month ago. He says, yeah, you know, you, you were kind of harsh on... I guess I was talking to him after a service or something. He asked me about playing the lotto, and I said, I never played the lotto. And he was like, he's like, mad. He said, well, how are you going to win if you never play? I said, exactly. <laughs> but it was, his, it was his thing. It was like, I, well, every day I go down to the same store, and the odds are going to be with me. And I said, I said let, me, let me ask you a question. How many people do you know that have retired because they won the lotto? He said, well, I don't know anybody. I said, neither do I. I said, how many people do you know that retired because they worked for a living? And he went down, this is my dad, my mom, my sister, my aunt, uncle, brother, cousin, everybody. It's real simple. God's called us to be industrious. It's actually part of the curse for us guys, Amen. He said, and you shall toil the labor of your hands all of the days of your life. Now, it's not just a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because when we have too much time on our hands, we get in trouble. That's what guys do. You ladies, you do a little better in that area. But we don't. <laughs> we start beating on things. and It's It's ugly. You know what's amazing to me? When you lack productivity yourself, isn't it strange how critical you become of everyone else? You become the holiness monitors in your neighborhood. (laughs) So much so as Paul would write to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says, let him who stole steal no longer. There's lots of ways to steal, aren't there? Lots of ways to steal, aren't there? Think about it. Can I define stealing for you? If it ain't yours, it ain't yours. That's simple enough? If it doesn't belong to you, it's not yours? If it's somebody else's stuff, it's not your stuff? That's called stealing. So when we're waiting for somebody else to do something for us that we're supposed to do ourselves, God looks at that as that you're taking somebody else's things. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is do not covet your neighbor's goods. Because it's his stuff. You're not supposed to have that. You're not supposed to covet his goods or his neighbor's, your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband or anything else that's your neighbor's. You're supposed to go out and work hard. So if you want that thing your neighbor has, go work and earn what your neighbor has. But it says there, but let, let him rather labor with his hands in what is good that he might have something to give to him who has need. You see, the whole purpose of having, as far as a Christian is concerned, is so you can give it away. That's one of the blessings of the things we get to do when we're sending and planting churches. When we're ministering to people in need all over the world, we get an opportunity to take the substance of the things that we've worked hard for and said, Lord, we're entrusting this to you, and we're going to plant that church in India, or we're going to plant that church in El Salvador or Colombia. 
Or as we have a team in Mexico right now, Pastor Pat is leaving to go to Creation Fest in England. We, we have things going on all over the world. We have a team going to New York. You see, we don't want to be busy bodies. We want to be busy, not busy bodies. Not telling other people how to run their life, but showing them how it is to have a life that's run by the Lord. You see the difference there? One is words, the other is action. One someone can emulate and model, and the other you have to tell them what it is that they should do. Show them. Let them see it. And so he begins by concluding this chapter and this second letter by kind of giving us the other side of the picture, the right things to do, how to deal with these things in a positive manner. And he says in verse 12, And now to those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So the positive admonition is, don't be a busybody, don't be lazy, but rather work in quietness and eat their own bread. A quiet private life is a huge blessing. I can tell you very often behind the scenes of all kinds of wonderful things are people who are simply industrious and work hard. You would never know they have the role that they have. They have simply chosen to honor the Lord with all that is theirs. And they're the ones that are actually providing for an awful lot of things that go on in the body of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Being content, being obedient, taking what God has done in your life and saying, I'm going to make the best of it. And, and so he gives some positive admonitions, if you will. You've you got to not grow weary in doing good. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Notice what verse 13 says. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Probably there's not a, not a person in here, man or woman, that's worked at a, uh, a, a job for a very long period of time that at times you're like, man, is this leading anywhere? It sure does. It leads straight to the throne room of God. As a believer, as someone who loves the Lord, there's no such thing as a bad job. Because it's industriousness before the Lord. And it's the one thing that he has absolutely said we have a part in as far as our own family's future is concerned. As Paul would write to Timothy, he went so far as to say, look, someone who doesn't provide for their own is actually worse than an unbeliever. We need to be busy about this. So he's saying to us, look, Make sure you're doing what you can do and stop worrying about what you can't do. It's a beautiful principle and it will help us. The second thing here is that you're to note that person who's disorderly. Now why would, why would we get that type of an admonition? Because it's saying literally break fellowship with, don't continue doing the same things the same way because you send them a false sense of security that they're okay. 
When we who know the truth don't speak the truth and someone is in error and you do not tell that person the error, if you will not go the extra mile to square away that bad theology and they claim to know the Lord Jesus, you are allowing them to believe a lie. So note that person. Make sure that they know that you know that what is going on in their life is not okay with God. And thereby it should not be okay with you. It is that Romans one thirty two principle. Look, we're not to approve of those things that God disapproves of. Because when you do, you send a mixed message. So please be careful. A third thing, you're going to really hate this one. You know, because we hear so much in our society about, well, don't shame anybody. Uh, I hate to tell you this. Do not keep company with him, her, them, that he may be ashamed. Ow! You know why that's there? Because the right kind of shame is a pretty valuable tool in the hand of the Lord. You know, when you don't like what you already have, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can sit around and do nothing and hope it changes, or you can get busy about changing it. And so this type of shame is actually good shame. It's the acknowledgement that there's something wrong and you have an obligation to do something about it. If you don't like what you have, the one person on this earth that can actually do something about it is guess who? It's you. So there is a place for shame that's biblical. And probably most of you, if you have children, you've probably used that shame tool. Amen? It's not to hurt. It's to help. It's to cause somebody to say, look, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. And it leads down the wrong road and the wrong result is going to come from it. And they wake up and they go, man, I'm better than this. I can do better than this. And then you help them grow. But that initial shame is so that they'll go, man, I don't like what I have. Not someone else's fault always. Can it be someone else's fault? Sure. But a vast majority of the time, even if it's someone else's fault, we can still do something about it if we choose to. And so you leave that person with the Lord. It produces those feelings that they should have that are right. And it's a modicum of shame, but notice how it's balanced. Please, 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 please notice what is said next. Verse 15. And yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Don't shame them to the point of pain and anguish and hurt to where now they're just destroyed. You say, look, I want to help you with this. Where you're going, what you're doing is wrong. It's the wrong way to attack this problem. And you need to understand it's wrong. But I'm not here to shame you as someone who I don't love. I love you. But I need to tell you the truth if I love you. This is a tough love passage. This is the passage where you can say to that person, look, it's, it says what it says. And it's super direct. You you see, you don't want people becoming crushed by that discipline. 
And so don't take it too far. Don't beat him up mercilessly, but please do tell him the truth so that it instills a sense that, look, you have some responsibility here to try and change these things. And when we go beyond the appropriate bounds of correction, it shows a lack of love, and we should mark everything we do with love. Amen? Everything. Correction is done in love. Admonition done in love. Exhortation done in love. Speaking the truth in love. Without love, you miss the whole point because God is love, amen? But you can still say difficult things in love. It's quite easy to do that, actually, if you look at it from God's perspective because you realize God's not trying to kill them. He's trying to make them better. And so the words that we say ought to make someone come to terms with what needs to happen so they can be better, be restored, be reconciled, be healed. It's a beautiful place. I'm going to have the communion team now begin to pass out the elements of communion because this passage ends on a beautiful note of peace. Worship team's going to come back out. And notice how the Apostle Paul, after having said something difficult, reminds us of who he is. Oh, how precious is the peace that we now have because of what has been done for us by the grace of God. Amen? I have peace with God because of the grace of God. Faith in Christ Jesus is Lord. That's why I have peace. And when you have that peace of God, because you have the grace of God, you also have your relationship with God restored and made the way it's supposed to, the, the way we should always consider ourselves in, in unity with God the Father. But the only way that happens is by the cross of Christ. And he says, And now may the Lord of peace himself, in verse 16, give you peace always and in every way, and the Lord be with you all. The peace of God comes through the right relationship that we now have with God because the hostilities between us and God has come to an end because Jesus Christ made it so by the blood of the cross. Amen? That's what happened. You see, the bread that you're now receiving is the broken body of the Lord. And why is that important? Because his body was broken for you. His body was broken for me. Christ's body was not broken because he had sinned. His body was broken because I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're going to hold both elements. But his broken body has actually brought you and me healing. We, we have come into a right relationship with God. We have peace because the Prince of Peace paid the price for our sins on Calvary's cross. And so as the Apostle says, and the Lord be with you all, the Lord can be with us all. Because to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. It's a simple thing. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. 
and thereby have that peace. And it's not a temporal peace. It's peace that is ever-flowing. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And that song was written back in 1873 by Horatio Spatford. And Horatio Spatford was a very wealthy man. He was actually an attorney. And he was alive during the time of the great Chicago fire, very prosperous real estate developer and an attorney in real estate. But he lost virtually all of his fortune during the great Chicago fire. Trying to recoup and regather his life, he loaded his wife and his four daughters on a ship and sent them off to Europe. And before they could get there, that ship collided with another ship. The ship went down, and all four of his daughters drowned. His wife sent a two-word telegram which he received. Now, remind yourself, the Chicago fire has wiped out about two-thirds of the whole entire city of Chicago. He's already lost everything physically, and now God takes all four of his daughters. His wife sends a telegram, and it simply says, saved alone. Spatford got on a ship and met his wife, and on their way back, they were passing by the exact site where that ship went down and he penned peace like a river. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. So let's pray while we're receiving the elements, be in an attitude of prayer and think of the words of this song and ask yourself, Is there anything in this world that's not worth this kind of peace?